right, welcome to TYT Interviews. We've got another fantastic one for you today. It's Douglas Hughes. Remember him? Uh, he's the gyrocopter pilot that landed on Congress's West Lawn. They weren't coming for him. He was coming for them. And he's a mailman, so he delivered some mail for them. He had 535 uh, letters for the 535 members of Congress uh, telling them, clean up your act, okay? Clean up, maybe, or go home. Uh, they haven't listened to him yet, uh, but uh, he certainly got a lot of attention, and Doug joins us today. Doug, how are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah. No, it's great to have you on, man. Uh, I, I love patriots that fight in, in every imaginable way uh, back against the system, this establishment uh, that um, is unfortunately these days oppressing us all uh, through this issue of money in politics, which you care so deeply about that you basically risked your life uh, for it. So uh, let's break it down. Now, first of all, you're a mailman who lives in Florida, correct? That's right. Okay. Near Tampa. Okay. So, and the flight was from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C., correct? Yeah, all the way across Maryland. Okay. So how did you have the idea to do this flight in the first place? I mean, how in the world does that pop into your head? Oh, I'm going to get money out of politics by getting a gyrocopter and then flying it into D.C. from Gettysburg. A, a mailman friend of mine, Mike Shanahan, and I had been working on ideas, all of which came down to getting the money out of politics uh, as the prime medium to getting anything else done. And my friend Mike said we needed to send a certified letter with our ideas to every member of Congress. And I said, well, aside from the fact that's incredibly expensive, they wouldn't read it anyhow. But I said, what we want to do is get the message to the people of this country. And I started looking at in what way could we get the message to the American people? And Mike's idea of delivering letters to Congress popped into my head. And I really researched different ways of doing that spectacular idea of delivering the letters to Congress the message to the American people and do it in such a way that we could actually get the coverage, get the idea and the message out there. So were there other ideas that were rejected, driving a giant purple bus in, uh, taking a boat in? Like, how yeah. did you land on the idea of the gyrocopter? I, I was looking at initially at doing it with a fixed wing ultralight airplane. Uh, but my concern was that the security forces would wonder what was in the wings of the plane or what else could be concealed. I like the gyrocopter because it's like a bicycle. The frame is so skeletal that it's hard to hide anything. You can see the person, the frame, the engine, and the rudder. You can see everything that's there. So I thought that it was a little bit less threatening. Now, obviously, when you went up in the air, you realized there was some chance that things were not going to go well. And... In your mind, what percentage chance did you have it at being shot down? I felt that I had tilted the odds in my favor by sending word ahead. I took off from Gettysburg, which is over an hour away on purpose. I wanted to give the authorities to look me up because I sent an email ahead and the provisions were there for them to read the email. The Secret Service had vetted me a year before. That wasn't my idea, but... They had a file on me, and they knew that I was nonviolent. So I thought that the odds were very good that if I got into D.C., I would be allowed to land rather than be shot down. Um, 
it didn't turn out exactly that way because it seems that the email wasn't read until after I landed. And uh, in fact, the filters that the government forces have filtered me out as a flock of birds. They didn't see me coming in, which I hadn't expected. So I, I came in unannounced and I realized that as I was flying over the Washington Mall that they didn't know I was coming. Uh, so I knew I, I was scared when I landed because I was aware that the D.C. police hadn't received the announcement of my arrival. And uh, Doug, you're an amazing guy because, you know, you work for the post office, yet you have this uh, unshakable uh, belief that the American bureaucracy would work like <laughs> You sent emails an hour ahead of time. No way they're going to get him. Are you crazy? No, no. way. No. Well, I mean, I, I also I also had conspired with a newspaper here in town, uh-huh. and they broke the story about two minutes after my wheels left the ground. Yeah, so but it was on it was on the internet. I you think that the authorities are checking it? No, no, they're looking for your naked pictures. They're, they're not looking for actual security threats. Yeah, I know. I mean, you did it right. Like, I, I know you, in September 2013, you announced you were going to do this. The Secret Service actually comes to your house in October, has a conversation with you. They know you're coming. You tell the press. You send them emails. I'm coming, I'm coming. They still don't know. So that's why all this thing about, like, spying in on us to make sure they get the information. No, you could announce it like, like you did, like, eight times ahead of time. They still won't know. Right, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for interesting phone sex to titillate themselves and to talk to their buddies about. So, anyway, they're so. they're they're looking for ways to increase the money. Yeah, well, of course, that's I, that's the bottom line. Yeah, yeah, and so, Doug, I would have put it, and and if you'd asked me, and I guess I'm glad in in hindsight that you didn't ask me, but I'd have told you not to do it because I'd have put your odds of being shot down at about at least twenty percent, right? And I wouldn't have wanted you to take that kind of risk with your life. I mean, you have a great quote here that I read online. I'd rather die in flight than live to be 80 years old and see this country fall. And God bless you for that. But uh, I'd have been like, no, no, let's do it another way. Let's let's get a bus. Let's do something else. We've we've got to convince people who are in the mainstream, people who don't watch your show, people who aren't politically active, people who won't tune in to read blogs, We've got to convince those people that this is doable and important and getting outside the bubble of people who are already signed up to getting enough strength in order to push this thing through requires that. No, no, I'm not asking anybody to do what I did. Okay, but it requires that we do radical things to get attention, to get awareness up and to build our numbers. Yeah, people who, people who think this is going to be done with online petitions, I love them, but I disagree with them completely. We're yeah. going to have to go way further than that. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely hear you on that, brother. And, and that's why you getting all this attention to it was great. I want to come back to that in a second to discuss whether it worked and, and the consequences uh, of, of your actions as well, because uh, you're about to go to trial in a little bit. Um, first of all, I, I should say, as soon as I heard gyrocopter... I was both concerned and intrigued. I was like, I'd never heard of a gyrocopter before. I was like, does it shoot out gyros as it's flying? <laughs> oh, see, that would have been awesome. You should think about that next time, Doug. 
Think about it, okay? Then you really get the American people behind you. Okay, but seriously, obviously you got a ton of attention here, right? With or without the gyros actually flying out of the copter. Uh, and, and do you think it worked? Do you think that people started talking about money in politics? Or did they divert the conversation into, is Doug Hughes a good guy, a bad guy? Should he, you know, uh, it's a security breach I- issue, etc. What, what's your take on looking back on it? Well, let me tell you, my dad was an electronics teacher, and uh, he was asked by his colleagues once what the most important teaching aid was, and he said a baseball bat. And the other wow. teachers went, my God, you can't teach with a baseball bat. You can't hit the little darlings. You can't even threaten them. And my dad said, well, I don't teach with a baseball bat. I just use that to get their attention. Now, my dad never had a baseball bat in the classroom, but his point was the first step to teaching is to get their attention. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly capable of learning if you can get them to listen. Now, I'm trying to teach the American people. My flight didn't prove anything. It didn't change anything. It got their attention. Now, we, okay, because I'm going to spread my notoriety, okay, my infamy, I'm going to spread it around as far as I can to the groups that are working on this. We can teach them. We got their attention. And that was, the flight didn't change anything. It wasn't intended to. I knew that I was in this now for another two, four, five years until we get it done. Okay, the flight just kicked it off. So let's talk about the issue before we get to your trial and the consequences and what happened to your job. Uh, so what do you think is the principal problem? I mean, I know you point out three things uh, that are the, or three, the villains of American politics, as you po- uh, uh, put it. Tell us about that and tell us about how you think we can fix it. The issue is getting the money out of politics, building a wall of separation between big money and the government. Okay, Lobbyists have a right to address the elected officials the same way as we do, but they can't and shouldn't have the unfair advantage of an unlimited checkbook they can go to. Uh, Getting rid of Citizens United is one step, which is going to happen through a constitutional amendment. Um, The other place where we have to block and change politics is citizen-funded elections, and there's different formats of doing that. And then the third thing is to make it impossible for former elected officials to cash in after they leave, okay? When that happens, we're gonna have self-deportation, not across the Mexican border, but out of Washington, D.C. The scoundrels will leave and they will be replaced by liberals and conservatives who put the people first. Because if there isn't money to be made, uh, the people looking for money will go elsewhere to find the money. Uh, if, you, if you stop making Washington the profit center that it is today. So uh, I hear you on that as well. So uh, in terms of uh, how many former congressmen turn into lobbyists, a lot of people might not know the scale. You've got some numbers on that. Well, the last numbers that I've got uh, is a it's 50% in the Senate, and if I recall the number, 42 or 44% in the House. And those are old numbers that have only gone up. I'm trying to update those numbers for a speech I'm doing. Yeah, it's amazing, man. And they make a multi- and the amount of, Yeah, that's the other kicker on this, is that they make 14 times what they did as congressmen. Okay? That comes out to a sum, on average, around $2 million a year. None of these guys are worth that kind of money. 
Yeah, well, it's a, it's a bribe. It's a delayed payoff that's legal. Yeah, and, and look, what, once you put it that way, everybody gets it. I mean, is it are are they getting millions of dollars a year because they're all geniuses and they're going to f- figure out how to do business better? No, they're getting it for their connections, and their connections are for what? To get bi- millions and billions of dollars back into those companies' pockets through the government, through the American taxpayer. So that's why you're right. It's not just liberals. It's liberals, conservatives, libertarians should be irate at how they're robbing us blind, and they're getting bribed millions of dollars to do that. And so uh, by gyrocopter or by uh, other means, including if the Tea Party could figure out what the hell they're doing and, and understand who the real villains are who, and that are treading on them, their protests, however you do it, you got to realize that they are systematically robbing the American taxpayer. And, and so Doug's trying to uh, put emphasis on that here. And here's something that you get better than anyone. The media is in on the game. The reason, I mean, people get it. If I tell them in 10 seconds that these people are cashing in after they leave office, they get it. But the media is not talking about it. The mainstream media isn't talking about corruption. And it's not because it's not a story. It happens to be something that they make so much money from. Every two years in every election cycle, there's like six, seven billion dollars that get spent. And the lion's share of it goes to the networks and advertising. Okay. There's a huge windfall. And somebody in Root Strikers told me they're not going to bite the hand that feeds them. Okay. So we have to get around the mainstream media and getting the message out about the nature of corruption and, more importantly, the ways we can fix it. Yeah, there there are two elements to that. One, the executives at the TV companies know where their bread is buttered. They get uh, billions of dollars in political advertising. That's where a lot of the money in politics goes. They're not going to bite that hand, just like you said. The other uh, aspect of it is the anchors who've been promoted to the top, they don't know necessarily directly that's the game that's being played. The executives didn't necessarily share that information with them. But they got promoted to not rock the boat. So the executives could have picked from anybody. I mean, there's 320 million people in the country, right? They decided to pick team players who know, hey, let's be cool here. And if you're one of those team players and you're making a million dollars a year, you're making two, five million dollars a year, you really want to rock the boat? No, you love the boat. You want a smooth sailing for the establishment. So they're all incentivized to push in the same direction, which is unfortunately in this case... Uh, to perpetuate the system where the politicians get bribed uh, perfectly legally, according to the Supreme Court. They get buckets full of money while they're in office to run for office, and then after they're in office, as Doug points out, millions of dollars they put in their own pocket uh, so that they can hand over taxpayer money to the corporations and and to the rich folks who bribed them. The fact that we allow this system is insanity. It's a thousand times more insane than Doug getting in a gyrocopter and flying in and landing in the Capitol. Okay, so... Who's really the crazy ones? So now it's, it, it's, it's the perfect storm of organization because the Congress is in on it, the lobbyists are in on it, the special interests are on it, even the mainstream media is in on it. Yeah, that's cracking, right. Cracking that is the whole problem. Convincing people to fix it, that's easy. So, Doug, I mean, if the media had done their job, you wouldn't have had to fly in a gyrocopter to get their attention, right? No, because everybody would know. And everybody would know that you're out there. Uh, and so is Lawrence Lessig, and so is like a whole list of other people, top flight people, smart people, not mailmen, who have been trying to do this for years and are unknown. Yeah. No, and, and 
And now when people are asking you about the solutions, I, I, no, I noticed immediately, of course, as soon as after you did it, that one of the groups that you were mentioning was Wolfpack, uh, wolf-pack.com. Uh, God bless your heart for that. How did you know about Wolfpack and, and what are the uh, different solutions you think uh, make sense here? Uh, it was actually somebody I contacted at Occupy who said, had, have I ever heard of Lawrence Lessig? And I said, I've never heard the name before. Uh, and we found out that Wolfpack was doing a conference in San Francisco. Uh, and Mike and I, Mike doesn't like flying. So we drove out to California, uh, took us three days to get out there. We were there for one day for the uh, conference where I uh, actually met you. Uh, Lawrence Lessig, uh, I think uh, Potter was out there with the uh, Anti-Corruption Act. It was a really impressive panel. And uh, that's when I realized that there was a, a whole package, a whole movement of people who were conservative and liberal, that this thing cut completely across uh, all political lines. And as I watched it, I realized it wasn't gaining strength as fast as I think it needs to gain strength in order for us to put it over the top. And I thought that really somebody has to do something spectacular enough to crack it. Okay. And the issue is simply getting it in the public consciousness. Now, everybody else is going to do what they've been doing, but hopefully we're going to be able to do it with a bigger audience so that we can actually get the money out of politics, do the constitutional amendment, get people elected to Congress, Democrats and Republicans, who put that issue first, and then disagree like all hell in Congress itself about how to fix the problems that there are, but they're going to try and fix it for the people instead of for the special interests. Uh, that, that's the plan, and that would be lovely. And that's you're right. There is an army of people fighting uh, for that in, in different ways. That's why Lawrence Lessig, who's a brilliant Harvard law professor, who's the godfather of this movement, called uh, his group originally Root Strikers because he wanted people to strike at the root of the problem, which is money in politics, from every direction. So whether it's us at Wolfpack uh, fighting to make sure that we can get a convention to call for that amendment, whether it's people pushing for legislation or fighting for the amendment by other means. Or whether it's a guy like you, Doug, who decides that you're going to fly in on a gyrocopter. And whether it's liberals or conservatives, it doesn't matter. Uh, the conservatives hate the crony capitalism and the corruption just as much as liberals do. Uh, and so uh, I think Professor Lessig was right. We're trying to do all we can at wolf-pack.com. Uh, and obviously, we couldn't ask for more from you, Doug. Uh, so now let's talk about the cost uh, of, of uh, your actions. Uh, so you're facing charges. What are the charges you're facing? Well, there's a total of two felonies and four misdemeanors. Uh, the two felonies are technical issues having to do with whether or not my plane was overweight and whether or not it was therefore required to be registered with an N number like any other regular airplane would. Uh, and if they can prove that the plane was overweight, then they're going to say that also meant that I had to have a pilot's license that I didn't have to have to fly it as an ultralight. So they're going after me with a couple of charges that are going to make it difficult by the nature of what they charged me with. It's going to make it difficult for me to make a First Amendment defense. They deliberately are going after me in a way that doesn't allow me 
to bring the reason why I flew into part of my defense for the flight. Mm. Um, that's frustrating, but that's how the game is played. Uh, three of the misdemeanors have to do with flying in restricted airspace, um, which obviously I did. Um, and the other one is impersonating a mailman. Uh, the U.S. Post Office is ticked about that. But, I am a mailman. I don't think that charge should stick, but they had... <laughs> what a weird they, charge. It's like saying, hey, Jenk, you said the wrong things on air. You're impersonating a talk show host. Yeah. Wait a minute. I am a talk show host. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, whether you like the job I'm doing or not is irrelevant to that. It, it, it is what it is. You were a mailman. You were delivering mail. Now, maybe not part of it is your official duty. Your boss at, at, at the local Florida post office didn't necessarily give you that mail to deliver, but... What can a mailman not deliver mail in his off time? I was I was definitely off my route, but that's not a criminal offense. Um, <laughs> they're saying that because I had the logo on the aircraft, um, that that was a violation that I was impersonating or falsely representing myself. But the indictment actually has the phrase "while not carrying the mail." And the fact of the matter is I had 535 letters. They all had addresses. They all had stamps. Okay. I paid $270 for stamps. Okay. So wow. it was mail. And I think their indictment will fail on that technicality right there. It was mail. And I don't know if anybody's opposed to you, Doug, other than the establishment. So I don't know that there are really any left-wingers or right-wingers opposed to you. But, I mean, you should have the right-wingers on your side because... Well, they're trying to get you on an over-regulation, right? Oh, your plane should have had an N. It shouldn't have had that logo. It should have had this logo. Doesn't that sound like uh, over-regulation? Oh, you were slightly too heavy. Wait till they get a load of me. I definitely. <laughs> now I know. If I go up in a gyrocopter, I'm, they're going to get me on a felony of uh, flying too heavy. <laughs> it's neat. I've gotten a lot of support mail from people who are, you know, really Tea Party, really conservative. And they indicate in the letters that they know I'm a Democrat, but they love me anyway. That's awesome. That's America. That's America, man. That's when it works well. But our problem is how we all communicate, right? Can we get the right wing and the left wing to communicate in an effective way uh, to know that they have a common interest, which is battling this corruption and getting back to free and fair elections, getting back to democracy so we can be represented, so we can go back to fighting. (laughs) But right right now, there is no battlefield. It's money versus no money. It's not right versus left. I did did fine on Hannity. He and I got got along great. Okay, it was a short five-minute interview. The guy was a complete gentleman. And if you were to judge from the interview, we were in complete agreement. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not sure that if if that went past five minutes, you would be. But but good. God bless. God bless. All right, so... Now, if you get convicted, uh, Doug, it, it is pretty serious. How much time are you looking at? Well, as we look at the sentencing guidelines, if they're applied the way they should be, uh, it's not the nine and a half years that the press is seized on. Um, but it could be somewhere between 10 and 27 months. Again, depending on how the judge decides to apply the federal guidelines to my case. I mean, if they actually put you in prison, for God's sake, man, that, that's the real crime. Everybody knows why you did it. Everybody knows you weren't a danger. I mean, I can understand them being concerned in the beginning. I get that, right? 
But at this point, it's obviously an act of civil disobedience. If they want to do something symbolic, give you community service, I think we all get that. But they yeah. can put, if they put you in prison for 10 months, 27 months, Jesus Christ. That's, and, but that's unfortunately part of what's going on in this country. If you got no power, you got no money, they'll put you in, in prison without blinking. Right? You commit whole-scale fraud if you're the top bankers in the country, cost 8 million people their jobs, you're free to go. It's so frustrating. So on that uh, note, uh, were you confined to your house for a while? I mean, already there's punishment. Yeah, for the, for the first month, I was confined to my house. I couldn't even go outside to mow my lawn. Uh, and then that got loosened up to within the county that I live in. And now I'm pretty good. I'm able to move in the whole central part of Florida. So by complying with the judge's instructions on confinement, they've uh, on a gradual level loosened up my restrictions and i appreciate that so um, uh, is it'll probably be a while before they let you fly anywhere right uh i'm not allowed to pilot anything they don't want me to fly a kite but i'm actually allowed to i'm not on a no-fly list okay uh so that part of it is okay, okay. and i mean there's logic in that but it is i mean it's not like you're a real threat the fact that you're on the no-fly list is no, like I, I can fly. I, well, you can I, get on the plane. You just can't I can pilot get on it. The plane. That's okay, right. all right, good, good, good. Okay, and nowhere then, near the controls. And then what? What? So if you're confined to your house, how could you do your job? What, what? What wound up happening with your job? Well, as soon as I got back, I was put on leave. Uh, the post office didn't want me out on the route or in the office. I was prohibited even to come into the building. Uh, so I was on leave with pay. Uh, right up until the 4th of July, and uh, who'd have thunk that the post office had a sense of humor, they fired me on Independence Day. Yeah. As you're trying to fight for democracy, they fire you on Independence Day. And I don't know if they know this, but you're probably the most famous mailman in America now. So they fired the guy who is best known for delivering the mail and delivered the mail in the most spectacular fashion perhaps the post office has ever seen. And they're like, okay, great, you're fired. The, the post office is going to suck up to Congress because the rules and regulations and changes in the way they do business have to be approved by Congress. So if they sense that Congress would like to have me beheaded, they'll behead me. Uh, so frustrating. And they're... Technically not wrong about that, too. I want everybody to understand that because uh, the Congress uh, changed an accounting rule for the post office that only applies to the post office and screwed them over royally, royally, destroyed their finances by just changing, changing one accounting rule that only applies to the post office. So Congress does have tremendous power over the post office. That's why they're so nervous that somebody like Doug might upset the powers that be in Washington. That's how they have power over people like us. Can I go there, Sink? Because this really, really goes to money in politics. There are groups that want to privatize the U.S. Post Office so that they can put some of the six, seven billion dollars that the Post Office, you know, spends. Mm -hmm. They want that in their pocket. They want it to be a profit enterprise. So there are groups who want to own the Post Office and... They are putting money in Congress through lobbyists to try and get that done. 
So about eight years ago, Congress passed a law which required the post office to pre-fund the retirement benefits 75 years in advance. That means we're pre-funding the retirement for people who haven't even been born yet. And they required the post office to come up with this money in 10 years. So they broke the bank, which is exactly what they intended to do. And now Congress is screaming, well, see, they're insolvent. We've got to privatize them. Okay? Damn it. I mean, look at that trick, right? And then where's the media? Do they point that out? No, they just keep screaming, oh, post office insolvent, post office insolvent. As if, like, exactly. the, as if the post office has some major problems. And then, by the way, do you guys understand? And the major problem will be solved by privatizing the post office so that some of that money can get skimmed off into an individual's pockets. Okay. This is an example of money and politics. Okay. How it works. Okay. The post office is, is, if you compare it globally, we're the most efficient post office in the world. Okay. And we're certainly ranked among the most honest. We have the integrity. People trust us. If you privatize the post office, cut the pay of the people, okay, to where it doesn't matter if it's a Walmart job, people will steal, okay? So the integrity of the post office goes down, people will stop using the post office, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that you drive, drive this enterprise, okay, which is a government enterprise, a self-funded government enterprise into the ground. Look, I don't have a problem with the private businesses that uh, deliver packages, but I don't want to pay $25 to deliver a letter across the country. If the only people running it is FedEx, UPS, DHL, etc., you're going to be paying $25, $35 for every goddamn package that now costs $0.44. Cents. It's just, and the guy fighting back against it is Doug Hughes, who the post office just fired. So, welcome to America. <laughs> they fired him on America's birthday. So... They fired the most famous mailman since Carl Malone. Okay. And, and so, Doug, I, we couldn't be more with you. Uh, I mean, I love that you fought back in a unique way, in your own way, in a um, uniquely American way. And, and we obviously wish you the best of luck in the trial. Uh, and, and anyone who can help Doug in that trial, that would be great. And, and let's get Doug a job. Jesus, man. Whether it's back at the post office or, or wherever... You'd like to work. Uh, the fact that uh, Doug's right now out of a job is completely unacceptable. Uh, a unique, rare American hero. Doug Hughes, thank you for joining us on The Young Turks.